you start to study history and you start to try to like kind of like fall in love or even master the idea of why things exist, traditions, recipes, um, you're able to take all that information and almost allow yourself to, to create a path forward by using those traditions and then filtering them through your own experience. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Chef and budding TV personality Daniel Harthausen is one of the most exciting voices in food, having just won the first season of HBO's very good cooking competition show, The Big Brunch, and running the roving pop-up Young Mother in Richmond, Virginia. I invited Daniel into the studio for a wide-ranging conversation about his travels, his loot, he won 300000 on the show, and we talked about the delicate topic of Korean-Japanese relations. Daniel has so much to say, and I was so excited to have him in for this episode. Daniel Harthausen, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to finally meet you. We got to talk on Zoom about a month and a half ago, and we did a Monday interview with you. And I was like, yo, if you're ever in New York... Hit me up, and here you are. Yeah, got to uh, come up for for the week, and I was like yeah. really excited to be on. I, I loved our first conversation, and so I was like, I really wanted to to continue the the conversation and talk, <laughs> make it podcast official. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I have to ask, like, right from the jump, like, where are you where are you eating right now? When you're in New York, you're a chef. You're we'll talk about winning Big Brunch season one, but where you, where you been? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we got a little in a little late last night, but there's this place that I wanted to go to in Chinatown called Spicy Village. That, yeah, yeah. Like, had a couple wrecks. Yep. Amazing hand pulled noodles. Um, got a sandwich at Defante's in the Red Hook. Yeah, yeah, oh, sit. dude. Like it's ha- like I'm like I'm like a really <laughs> really romantic towards like delis. Yeah, you don't have a lot in Richmond, so like I had to get hit there, and then uh, did Brooklyn bagel-, bagel this morning. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm, you know I got a couple places that I'm looking forward to eating at later on. But uh, every time I come up to New York, it's again. Like literally my second time yeah, here, yeah. so I'm just excited to to keep eating. <laughs> I can't wait to like follow your journey in New York. I'm gonna follow you on Instagram, watch all the places that you're going yeah. to. I wanted to have you on for so many reasons. I'm so impressed. I'm so I just like vibe with you really well. Like you, I love what you how you talk about food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never tried your food, so I have to be uh, like open about that. I've never been to your restaurant, but yeah. I, I will. Um, can't wait for real. Yeah, it'll be fun. But I want to. We never have like reality TV show winners on our show. So you won <laughs> Big Brunch season one. What was it like competing on a on a cooking TV show that aired on HBO? You can watch it. It's a great show. When you're there, it really is kind of like this roller coaster of like, oh my god, I'm about to be on TV. Like, <laughs> and it's also something I never like really envisioned for myself when I was getting into my culinary career. I was like, I was kind of like. A little bit against it. I was like, I don't want to be on a tell. I don't want to be on a cooking show. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. But when they told me about it, um, and I got to know a little bit about what the show is doing, um, and then obviously Dan Levy getting to like hear his mission and what he wanted to do with yeah. it, I was, I was like, wow, this might be a really cool fit for me just to be able to talk and like get my ideas about food and my story a little bit out there and just you know just kind of like see what it, see what it goes on. But yeah. uh, during it, it's like. You're, like, down to win, right? You're, like, there to win. Yeah. Well, it, it was, like, at first, I think, mm. also, like, I was the youngest person on the on the show. Wow. Yeah. And Dang. so, um, at first, I was kind of just, like, I'll just play around with it. This is fun. And then, <laughs> I think after, like, the second or third episode, I was, like, I might be able to win. 
maybe. So I was like, so then after that, the shift, the, I kind of like shifted um, how I was, how I was uh, kind of approaching it, I guess to yeah, say. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say like every time before about a shoot, I thought I was gonna like scream because it's just like you know you're you're doing what you're doing that you you know you do it every day or you know you're cooking and yeah muscle memory at this point you sure. definitely have like been in pressure pressure packed situations yeah, yeah yeah but uh it was kind of like you know there's 15 cameras around you and you're kind of just like hey just keep doing what you're doing stay calm i'm like oh, okay like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh no it was a really cool experience it wasn't at all what i thought it was going to be cuz everyone was super supportive yeah the cast all amazing people the producers everyone on set amazing um, so I think, I feel like I had just talking to other people that were on reality shows. Yeah. Um, I had a pretty unique experience. Um, well, it's probably Dan, like wanting it to be like a wholesome environment and not like be like the top chef producers who want you to like kill each other. Exactly. Yeah. And I, he was definitely very intentional in like yeah. creating an environment for people to be comfortable, like sharing their pretty intimate stories. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of let everyone kind of like put their guard down and, and really open up. Yeah. We had Sola on the show. We've had uh, Will Gadara on the show. Oh, so wow. definitely the two judges, uh, along with Dan, they all loved your food. Yeah. Uh, did you think you were going to win? I love the pause. It means yes. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> had to call it out. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I'll let you answer. I'll let you answer. The You're question. not. It was like it was like I think in the final it was it was a little nerve wracking, but I was really confident about like. Mm-hmm how I perf- how I performed and how I presented everything. And so, um, but it, everyone was so talented and it, it's tough to like, it's tough to just like, even in that moment of winning, you're so happy. But it was like kind of one of those things too when every, ever somebody got sent off, you really felt it. And like, there was a lot of moments where like we got to hang out with other chefs and it was like, it's pretty tough. But yeah, it's, it, you know, when I found out Sola and Will, uh, Will were on the, on the show, um, I was so excited. I was like so hyped. Yeah. Because like when we were when they were presented, I was like, I've been following Solo forever. And then obviously Will Gadara. Yeah. I was two like, two legends in the game. I was absolutely. like, oh my God. And so yeah. that was kind of like another level of like nervousness, but like super excited like, yeah. to fed them or feed them. So you you didn't win like uh like fifty thousand. You won like three hundred thousand dollars. Three hundred thousand dollars. I'm sure you had to pay taxes. I'm sure there was like all sorts of shit. But you had a chunk of change in your pocket after winning. What are you gonna do with that? Yeah, uh, so first off, I mean, you know, being a young service industry person that doesn't have a second job, I paid all my bills, yeah. <laughs> which is super helpful. Clean slate now? <laughs> yeah, just got to got to get rid of all that, you yeah. know. Um, but then uh, I, I planned out a, a lot of, like, opportunities for myself to, to, to go travel. I, I traveled a lot as a kid. Yeah. But there's also, like, the places that you want to go. And so, I you know, I just recently got to go to Mexico City, which was mm-hmm. – Amazing. Um, planning a trip to Korea for oh, like cool. for like three weeks to a month and then uh, doing a little bit of time in Japan too. And and it's one of those things where that, you know, that little bit of a, a cash allows me to to really find inspiration in uh, in places that uh, where there's a it's a pretty big barrier of entry just with costs and yeah. like daily living and you know you're working six days a week just to just to keep up and yeah. so now I'm able to have a little free time and really able to kind of step back and figure out what I want to do and and uh, what what kind of things I want to discover you know yeah the possible restaurant that you may open mm-hmm. some other ideas maybe more media uh, let's get into Korea uh, and and your uh, your relationship with living there as a child Um, but also and what struck me most when i was watching the show was that the way you spoke about korea and japan Mm -hmm. two very different but also similar in many ways countries and cultures and this very delicate way they both kind of 
kind of worked together and have worked against each other in history. And I think I wanted to have you on. We In the interview, and I'll link to in the show notes, we cover some of the territory, but it was very limited in space. Mm-hmm. To you, what is the relationship between Japan and Korea? You know, talking about myself. Sure, let's get into that first. Good. Um, uh, being born in Korea, um, it was – I was so I'm, I'm 75% Korean and 25% German. And that's how I was born thinking because my dad's half and my mom's um, full Korean. Um, but later on, I found out that I actually have ties to Japan through my mom's side of the family, um, which I didn't know. Um, found out a little bit later on in life. Also spends a little bit of time in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this kind of like idea of the two countries have always had an influence on me growing up. Um, not so much in the context of food at first, but when I reach back into those memories, um, they definitely have a pretty profound effect on like mm-hmm. what I'm serving and like what I'm doing today. Um, but you know, starting with Young Mother, my pop-up, right, I wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper into what that relationship is. Um, you know, Korea and Japan, you know, Korea essentially was occupied by Japan like early 1900s. 40-plus mm-hmm. um, years? 40, 45 years, yeah. yeah. Extremely traumatic time for Korea as well. And it's something that's still very, very sensitive to this day. Um, and, you know, at first, I've been doing the pop-up for about two and a half, three, two and a half, three years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I go into it on the show a little bit, and um, it's something that's kind of transformed now where I'm providing, like, a little bit more of a lens into what it's like from the Korean perspective just as this level of respect for a country that has so much trauma mm. from being occupied. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you start to talk about food culture, you know, It's not so much this idea of how do these two things like mash together to create a new dish. Yeah. But it's looking at these dishes that we've come to know and love between the both cultures that have these either relationships through physically being next to each other. Right. I mean, Korea is like, you know, they they say it's like between two whales, like China and Japan. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, trying to figure out how to provide a narrative and an identity to the dishes that we love. Um, And I think in what I'm trying to do, right, in that idea is look at it through history. Um, And so, you know, the food side of it, it's been more leading where um, I I was just having a conversation about this the other Mm -hmm. day. So it's like, it's like you look at like, like gedanjim and chaonmushi, like steamed egg dishes, yeah, right? Yeah, both steamed egg dishes, they have an anchovy or fishy broth. Mm-hmm. They can be both made in the microwave. Yeah. Uh, they're both beloved by Japanese and Korean cultures. Yeah. But they're, what you're going to say. Well, so, I mean, but they're pretty different. And then yeah. also the expectation around them, right? Where it's like, I feel like, you know, like you like gedanjim and you expect it to be like this banchan that's free at a Korean barbecue place. But then you can see like chaonmushi be presented as like, a part of an omakase tasting menu, right? right? And they kind of have this, like, and it's, and then you start to talk about, like, well, how do people perceive the two different cultures that essentially are serving the same dish, mm-hmm. that have the same roots, you know? And then, and so I think examples like that are kind of when I go back to thinking about menu development and how I'm talking about my food. Um, it's a lot of trying to provide. Again, that lends into the Korean perspective of being occupied and then also just like having the tenacity to to exist and push their culture through all this turmoil. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a I, I look at Korean cuisine as like this survivalist story. Unbelievably true. Well said. Fully agree. 
it's it's just remarkable how you can articulate this because it's true. The 45 years of occupation uh, is a topic that is delicate and but it really informed the way Korean food is prepared. Mm-hmm. That time when Japan ruled Korea. And I think there's many dishes. Garam Jim and Charmushi is just one example of mm-hmm. this crossover. And I, I want to ask you, um, when you're thinking about the two cultures and you're talking about the survival mode for Korea and the Korean cuisine, does this ha- – what's your feeling inside as somebody who has lived in Korea? I mean, does it have an emotion? It's – it's definitely an emotion of of this – I feel a sense of pride. I think being – just being a part of it. But also like I – and I understand like it's a podcast. But it's like I don't <laughs> necessarily look extremely Korean and I don't get it very often. And I don't have – I've lived a lot of my life through American culture. And I think in doing this has been kind of like this dual sword of like – well, one, just like trying to create good food and, and making a good meal and making good experience for people, but also just studying my own identity, something that's a part of me, something that I grew up with, um, and and giving it a sense, like mm-hmm. just making it make sense in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through that, that motivation kind of allows me to, to, to understand it, understand myself a little bit more, understand my parents, understand where we're going, how we're, how we're talking mm-hmm. about Korean American identity, Korean identity, like, um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, I feel pride from being Korean, but I also just, it's like a level of curiosity, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And as a chef and somebody who you, you surround yourself with food and ideas, Mm -hmm. uh, it's gotta be, it's like an endless opportunity to talk about the way all these topics talk about the way Japan has influenced Korea, but also your own Korean Americanness. It is really this thing where when you start to study history and you start to try to like kind of like fall in love or even master the idea of why things exist, traditions, recipes, um, you're able to take all that information and and almost allow yourself to to create a path forward by using those traditions and then filtering them through your own experience. And I think that is like the essence of being Korean American, at least in my eyes. Yeah. You grew up all over the world. You grew up in Wyoming, in Virginia, in Seoul. Mm-hmm. What was food like when you were living in Korea near a military base? What was the food like that you were eating day to day? Yeah, so um, I didn't eat out a lot with my family. Yeah. Um, uh, mom was a pretty good cook, uh, made meals all the time. Respect to your mom. I like Respect, this. You yeah. know, You know what's up. You got to put it down in the microphone. I got I to gotta say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, it's funny. It's we – right outside the military base um, – there's uh, Osan Air Force Base. There's this area called Songtan, and it's like you got a little strip. Um, but I would eat out with my friends, and it's like you'd go, you hit the Seven Eleven, you know, yeah. get some, get some fried chicken, hang out, yeah. and then you go to. There's this place called Myeongin Mandu, where it's like essentially just like a diner, mm. get gimbap and tteokbokki, yeah. ramen, stuff like that, and it, you know, nothing luxurious, but it was just like that. It's like that. Even when I come to New York, it's like it's not that there's like. There's amazing food, the best food, mm. but there's also just an over, like a saturation of just like good food that's pretty reasonably priced that yeah. you can just get. It's just really easy to get. And so when I think back to that time, it was a lot of like street food. You know, you go to sit at a pojang matcha, mm-hmm. put down 2,000 won and get a giant bag of fried stuff. Fried stuff and maybe you know? some like dried fish. Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, something else. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, just get like fish cakes and yeah. you know, like a, in like a Dixie cup. On dung. Broth, yeah. 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 And so, I don't, yeah, it's like try like thinking back to that stuff, it's it's fun. It's, it's, a, it's a good memory to just like 
you wish it existed here and it kind of does but like not in the same like saturation in yeah. america you're planning a trip to korea yes it sounds like three to four weeks yeah uh, it's cool like what, what what's your goal where are you gonna go um so i'm gonna do two weeks in seoul yeah um go to like all the you know just kind of venture around yeah um i have like a giant list <laughs> of places and then uh Doing a, a week in Suraksan, the mountains. Yeah. Um, just kind of camping, hanging out. Nice. Hopefully doing some some foraging with friends and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you have a dough, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's just like seeing what's around and then uh, doing a, a week in Busan. Nice. Um, and that's the one I'm most excited about. Yeah. Um, I think like it's – I. You know, you're always kind of critiquing what you do as a chef, and I think one of my biggest holes right now is seafood. And so I'm doing like deep dives into trying to like really figure out how I can provide – um, or find my identity within seafood. Let's talk about that. I think hue is something that is talked about. David mm -hmm. Chang's talked about in his show. I've talked about it here. And that's the Korean style of sashimi, to use a Japanese term. Once again, difficult to kind of say a Japanese word when you're talking about Korean food, <laughs> but it is our foundation in the way we talk about food is, yeah. is Japanese cuisine or terms. But hue, let's talk about that. Do you, do you have like a point of view when it comes to raw seafood in Korea? So yeah, and my, my first like, memory of eating raw seafood was uh when you'd have like parties with uncles and aunts and they'd pull up and like you know you have like a jeff essentially a giant platter of just raw fish that's been cut up um with chogochujang like broccoli or some yeah. shit you know it's like uh, oh yeah like the broccoli sesame yeah the broccoli yeah side. and then you're just like you got it and you're like why are these two things it's amazing together um so but good. it's like just funny the image of such a like rustic just plate of raw fish, kind of like piled, um, just being dipped into this like spicy vinegary sauce. And then that contrasted with like how I then was introduced to like sushi sashimi, like omakases and like being presented like one little piece and then like yeah. eating it and then like- Way more mild, way, yeah, more velvety on the yeah. palate, not as hard. Not as like, just like- Tough. Yeah, it's like, it, but I think by nature, I really enjoy the like very like, rustic kind of in your face like style of eating with friends popping bottles of soju and just hanging <laughs> out right totally um so yeah i mean way is like one of those uh well again one of those like intersections but um my like i was it was funny i was just thinking about this dish of like doing like bibim nyangmyeon mm -hmm. just like topped with way yeah and just like going in and like having those like textures hot cold of, hot cold yeah but, love uh, that um bibim yeah bibim nyangmyeon yeah okay so let's talk about some other Dishes in Korea that you're going to be, like, seeking out. I, I'm wrapping Korea world right now. I'm, like, it's in my in my brain. Gopchang? Gopchang. Gop yeah. yeah. I what mean, do you think about that? It's intestines, grilled. Uh, yeah, I mean. stews. Um, awful, awful, awful. Yeah. yeah. It's like, either way. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know. I, I extremely enjoy it. I, like, love pho. Yeah. And so tripe, soft tendon, all those things. Mm -hmm. I love the texture. Um, I haven't had them like grilled a lot, but um, definitely seeking that out. There's some pl there's some place I'll give you some names. Yeah. Like that really like that soft, creamy inside yeah. of the of the intestine that comes out with the grill. It's delicious. I mean, sundae is like my one. Sundae cook is like one of my favorite dishes. Ah, your sundae. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm I'm like I have a very like distinct memory of like eating sundae pretty hungover when I was like younger but yeah. like it's like it was like this healing moment and i was like oh my god i love this and i like found out what it was and i because mm -hmm. i didn't know at the time and i was like oh my god it's blood sausage yeah with like, like small japchae noodles still love it though um yeah totally also i think like cool banging between like the sea welk and stuff like yeah. that I, i've made it for myself but i've never eaten it out and i'm really curious it's one of those things too like i'm most excited about going to korea because 
you know, they're they're we have all these ideas of Korean food in America, but when you actually get to go to Korea, you like notice how much innovation people have. Like it's constantly changing and how people are progressing certain dishes. And so it's almost like you want you like I guess need is a, is a strong term, but I, sometimes I feel like I need to go there and just like actually like mm-hmm. experience how people are progressing the the cuisine and what they're doing and just, you know, see how I can fit into that. So the snail's dish we had in Koreatown, uh, just like a spicy snail or whelk salad. Yeah. Really, unlike lettuce, we had it. It's like delicious. It's like, or like cold noodles. With like, like, so like, like wheat noodles. Wheat like noodles, somen noodles. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, a little bit of lettuce, but mostly somen noodles. Yeah. So you're going to look, you're going to seek that one out? Yeah, seek that out. Um, really excited for that. Also, um, abalone, like, yeah. I, I don't eat it a lot. No, we can't really get it in the States. Can't? Well, you can get it packed Northwest, but it's it's not as good as Korea. Yeah, and it's like super snappy and deli- and like, I yeah. don't know. I, I, there's all these things that I feel like, you know, um, that since it's so hard to get in America, you don't get to experience it as much. So getting to actually go there and like just even just raw, like just ingredients in general. Oh, know? my gosh. And I want to go back to the point you made, which is great about how constant innovation as a chef makes you kind of need to go to Korea, like mm-hmm. the country of Korean Seoul and visit it. I feel like are there other ideas that you want to explore? I mean, for me, one is the the baking scene. Mm-hmm. It's just out of control. It's like extremely Exploding. progressive and some of the best croissants have had have been in Korea, which five years ago wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. That's one example I have, but what are you looking also to, to, to explore? It's, it's very specific, but I'm extremely obsessed with, I don't know if you ever had those like packeted like sweet potato, like pound cakes things. They're no. like, they're like this like weird snack, but it's essentially like, I, whenever I try to look up like what it is, I can never really find it. And so I'm trying to find a bakery that just makes it because I can only get like the frozen packaged ones, but it's essentially similar to like a Costella cake, mm-hmm. but it's got the like buttery texture of a pound cake yeah but it tastes like sweet potatoes mm-hmm. and like so I'm that's something that I'm like I just need to figure out who's making yeah. this and, and see if they'll tell me like if they got any 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 hints yeah or... check out onion is that on your list onion there's like two locations okay. there's one in uh in Sangsu and then one in another part of Seoul yeah they're doing some interesting innovative pastries yeah yeah I'll check uh, it out you said onion yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll hit you with the hit you with the list but I want to also just get into your own cooking style because, sure. at, like, young mother, uh, and and on the show you you went to some of your dishes. But I guess what is your own personal style? I'd like for our listeners to hear a little bit about the way a menu works at Young Mother, the pop up that you do occasionally in, in Richmond. Yeah, you know, I try to figure out. I was trying to figure out how I approach um, menu development, um, just to try to unrest, understand myself a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but a lot of like the dishes that I make can be seen as traditional interpretations, things that people kind of know and love. I do, um, you know, chun or okonomiyaki. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff with uh, you know grilled meats, things like that. Um, it, it it's kind of it it is this thing where I, I I've done so much. I've done b- both ends of the spectrum. Where yeah. I've done like really casual like come up giant line, get one dish, and I've done, like, full tasting menus. Yeah. Um, and then looking forward to, like, the restaurant that I want to have, I kind of want to find a place in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, looking at the menu now, um, I've been really interested in how s- traditional recipes are kind of broken apart, taking each section, and mm, how do cool. I transform that into something or add something or take away something that kind of 
aids in the final dish. What's an example? Give me one. So like one thing for examples, like when I went to Mexico and kind of, I was really attached to uh, their use of like toasting dried chilies and their use of dried chilies and how it kind of translated into Korean food. And so I really like that smoky quality that you kind of get from like mm-hmm. really throwing down a dried chili on a hot pan reminded me of uh, similarities to uh, the way that people or the Chinese use dried chilies in, in the wok and kind of like throwing it down. And I was thinking about how the first time I had white champong, mm-hmm. I was like really confused because like spicy, but it was clear or yeah. white. And like a clarified champong. I said, so like or champong, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, um, a, clear, but a white you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like a white champong. I, I like, love that. And so I was just kind of like, I was like all these ideas kind of in my head and then I thought like it'd be really cool to do like some sort of like dry fried champong, like mixed seafood mm-hmm. with dried chilies that creates its own sauce from like the liquid from the seafood and then you can kind of maybe add instead of noodles like rice cakes and then you're doing like stir-fried rice cake dish with dried chilies that gives off that smokiness yeah a little bit of heat and so it's those kinds and and for me it's not so much of staying inside i think i use korean and japanese food as like this base but a lot of what i find really fun about being a chef right now is just finding different ways to get to an end to get to a destination yeah, to a man. final point and so a lot of those dishes just like i said it's like i'll take all of these ideas that i'm having and find different ways to get to to the to the end dish you're blowing my mind because goju garu is sweet uh-huh. and and can have many levels of heat but smoking goju garu mm-hmm. not part of korean culture mm-hmm. it's not really the way chili pepper is dried yeah. in korea but man, if you brought that to a Korean dish like jjampang, yeah, um, or even kimchi, it's like yeah. smoked kimchi. I mean, yeah, and then also just finding different ways. So, especially with kimchi itself, um, you know, I, I was I was just talking about this where you have there's so many different varieties of, of chilies that are used. Yeah, and it's like, what would it be? What would it mean to like I don't know, blend four, five, six, seven different chilies together mm-hmm. to get certain characteristics to pull out of? Uh, kimchi or a fermentation process. Yeah. You know, like, can you make something delicious from that or is it just going to, like, kind of taste weird? Or, I don't know. But that's the fun part of, like, doing this whole thing. It's like you get to figure yeah. it out. Is there a food that you experienced in Korea, like a category that you feel in America we haven't quite embraced or we haven't quite acknowledged that you find extremely cool in Korea? Um. So I – and this is just, like, from being in Virginia. Um. The The correlation between, like – uh, like Appalachian food and like Korean food is like pretty heavy, and and cool. I think the the um, like regional mm-hmm. food in Korea isn't necessarily talked about very much. Um, and mountain cuisine is something that's like really really cool, and like the use you know mainly not necessarily being vegan but very vegetable forward. Yeah. You know, losing using a lot of root vegetables things like that. The other part of this kind of conversation too is you know being in Richmond or being in a smaller city. A lot of the stuff that I can do with food. Is dependent on like what I can sell to people too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I know it's that still business. Yeah, 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 and um, but it's it's really cool to see how like you know now with social media you can see what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really want to, if you can like try to find a way at least with regional food like, um, like I was saying with like mountain cuisine or what you consider that, uh, finding a way to say I don't know grow those vegetables in in Virginia because the climate's very similar. Yeah, um, or finding those kind of ways to bring those ingredients, na- not necessarily native to this area, but uh, finding a way to grow them to then also push that and be able to serve it. Um, I think that'd be really cool. I also like really just want there to be a 
like a Korean 7-Eleven or a Family Mart in America. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if someone actually started to do that, it'd be really successful. You got to have the hot hangover recovery drinks. You got to have it, yeah. You got to have definitely like three or four fermented uh, drinks that are maybe made by a local artisan that just happens to be like in the in like the cooler case. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the 7-Eleven always had like one of those two like homemade things. Yeah, yeah, always. And, and then, I mean, like the snack foods. Family Chicky Pops or like. Yo, um, definitely. <laughs> even like when I, when I saw Odang at like a 7-Eleven, I was like, yo, yeah, like in like a little like warming. Bin. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And then yeah. uh, like all the uh, all the onigiris are like yeah. I don't know all that stuff. And um, but it's it's tough because I feel like especially in America, it's um, when you start to do really I don't know traditional foods or 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 try to um, I don't know create a restaurant around one sort of style of cuisine mm-hmm. within a culture. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know what that looks like, but I really enjoy people that say like, even when I, like I just went to Paksambal and they do like one dish, they just do kukbap. Yeah. Right. And it'd be really cool. Up to, in Queens. Up in Queens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, I, it's, it's like really inspiring to me to see a place do one dish and do it amazingly. Yeah. Um, so I feel like if somebody were to say, I don't know, try to create a dish that might not be very popular in America and people aren't doing it very much. It would kind of have to be in that context. Yeah, it would have to be a single dish, you're right, and like maybe get like a little buzz behind it. Sure. Let's talk about Richmond. Okay. Let's talk about Richmond because Richmond is close to me. My sister-in-law started a restaurant, Dinamo. You run restaurants there. I feel like I have to ask you to give a little shout out to Richmond. Yeah, yeah, no. Richmond's amazing. Um, I, you know, it's been really good to me for the past like five, six, seven years nice. since I've been there. Seven years you've been there. Wow. About seven years. Dang. I yeah, because like uh, I remember I moved there specifically to learn how to cook and uh work in restaurants and yeah. just kind of like was able to to carve out my own little my own little scene within it. Um but yeah, Richmond, I feel like I only go to like three or four restaurants, Dinamo being one of them. Oh, shouts, nice. One of the, one of my favorite restaurants out there, Fatato. It's in a little house, a little fuss spot. Vietnamese, Love that mural, man. Oh, my God. Love dude. that mural. Vietnamese community out in Virginia is is, is strong yeah. and um, a lot of friends out there. And um, I got to shout out my old the old restaurant I worked at, Adara. Yeah. They, they gave me the spot. They gave me the uh, the place to uh, do the pop-ups in the, one of the best restaurants in Richmond. So Cool. Yeah, man. It's It's been – I've been – I felt very fortunate because it is a small community out there. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of players, like, doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, we just – they just opened, like, this really cool wine shop called Celadora. Um, getting a lot of cool stuff in. I've done a couple events there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just feel so fortunate that people are like open up their doors. I mean, it's like being strictly a pop-up right now yeah. or even before it's like, you know, when I don't, I didn't have the funds, um, to, to really open up my own thing. It's like, you're at the mercy of, of the community and, uh, and they just came out and supported it. Sounds and like. they did. And, yeah. and, you know, it allowed me to build up, um, pretty good following and I, I also I honestly don't think like if it wasn't for that following or those people allowing me to do those things like I wouldn't have been on that show and I wouldn't have been able to yeah. win and, and be on the path that I'm on now and so it's it's it feels really good to be a part of that community it's it's great to hear that I mean it's, it's shout out all the folks who helped you along the way recognizing that is important but I mean you're on your path young mother is is it popping up anymore we're recording this in uh February do you feel like are you gonna have any pop ups in the, in the spring? Yeah, so I was actually I've been I took a little bit I took a couple months off. Yeah, um, I'm doing a series at uh, Sub Rosa. Yeah, amazing bakery, amazing bakery, amazing wow. bakery. Wood fired, right? Wood fired. Yeah, um, Evram and uh, 
his family and they're they're down there and they're amazing people uh in Churchill and another area that's kind of like popping up right there but definitely um there you know I, I've been wanting to experiment with what how wood fire would look with with my food and it allows me to kind of like be a little bit more creative with grilled meats and seeing different ways I can grow vegetables obviously you know every all the advantages you have with a wood fired oven and how it relates to uh to what I'm trying to do in Korean food and um, I'm excited to see see what I can kind of come up with and, and and what we do oh my gosh wood fired Korean have mungtan in Seoul is that on your list mungtan it is yeah barbecue yeah, yeah. yeah they're doing the hay smoked barbecue with the giant colby it's so, so I dope. can't remember who told me about that but yeah yeah I it's funny I like I'm at, when I'm going out there I'm still I'm still building out like yeah when are you going um hopefully uh middle of early March oh soon soon nice. yeah so like next month cool um I'm it's like I'm like piecing it all together yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it yeah mungtan school Daniel, we asked all guests on the Taste Podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world, more than $300,000, <laughs> Daniel, what would that book be? So it's got to be like a, like, a, like a cookbook, right? No, food culture. It could be, it could be any type of cookbook, food-related book. I, so, and, and it's funny because the, the money part is a big part of this, but I've been so obsessed with what it means to like be multiracial, especially in America, but also in other countries. Like it's not just, mm. it's not just exclusive to America. Like mm-hmm. multiracial people and families exist all over the world. Um, and I've been, and you know, my friends and stuff who who share two cultures, three cultures within their family. You know, when I get invited to their house and get to go eat, it really is this really unique experience of two cultures kind of coming together only in the context of like this family. And then they create this cuisine that to one person is like nostalgic and they're like their cult, their home Mm -hmm. cuisine and like what they love to eat. But that thing might not exist anywhere else besides that home. And so it's kind of like, it would be amazing to kind of do a deep dive into how different cultures interact with each other in the family setting. And then they present those stories with Mm -hmm. recipes that exist only in that household or some things they've come up with because you know, two people decide to marry each other and they have these things. These in a specific that, city that has its own terroir sure, as well. Sure, sure, yeah. And it's like, you know, and you can, and that's another part of it too. And like, even there being like, so like the Vietnamese community in Richmond, it's like there's a strong Vietnamese community because of like two families. When I was talking to my friend about it, he's like, yeah, like two families moved out here and they just essentially brought all their families over. Yeah. And now they all just kind of exist in this network in, wow. in Virginia or in Richmond and uh those people marry different people from different cultures and it's so that was that's something that I think I would love to explore is just like figuring out like what is it creating um a conversation around what it means to be yeah. multiracial but not containing it to to just cultures that are popular or are consistently talking Yeah they're about. constantly like part of our immigration story that it's you know your background is actually part of the story too. How would you write about your background? So, and and that's another part of it too, where it's like I don't, I'm not extremely close with like the German side of myself, like yeah. being Korean and German. But it's funny when you know, because like the first kind of step of that is like finding the similarities. It's like, you know, what is the difference between like tonkatsu and schnitzel? Kind of, you know, it's yeah. like you know, technically the pretty much the same thing to a certain extent. Yeah. Or like sauerkraut and kimchi. Yeah. And it's like, you know, those things I think on the surface can seem, or it's kind of cool and fun to be like, wow, those are these similarities between these cultures. But then you also get to figure out like, well, why do those things exist? Mm -hmm. Like why are those similarities between the two cultures and what was the history between, you know, 
why Germans created with this dish and why yeah. Koreans or Japanese people have this dish. And so I think it, it really is the way I would write about mine at least would just be kind of um, acknowledging the two, maybe finding the history of it. And then also talking about the story of like yeah. why they came together and important to me as a person. Wow. Really special. I, Daniel, I hope you do that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, it's it's always in the back of my head. Yeah. Daniel Harthausen, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for having me. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com. And make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.